0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. I want to thank all of you for believing in me and supporting this cause. It's it's amazing of the feedback that I continually get, and it's not it's not because of me. It's because of these amazing guests that I bring on all the time. It's like I'm I'm the lucky one. I get to sit here firsthand and to hear them right face to face. But thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. I want to give a shout out to my sponsors, Siegfried and Jensen, Wasatch Recovery. You guys are amazing. Thank you for supporting this as well. It means the world to me. And today we're in for a treat, guys. Um, uh, we're, we have uh, Cynthia Covey-Holler. Thank you for joining us, Cynthia.
1: Thanks for having me, Todd. I'm yeah. excited to be here.
0: And if you don't recognize the name, you, you know I, I might wonder where you've been living. But uh, <laughs> she's the daughter of the late Stephen R. Covey. Um, who wrote the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He's famous for that. He's famous for a lot of other things too. But I think what I'm mo- most impressed is just kind of how he li- just lived his everyday life. And I got to learn a little bit more about that from your book. But Cynthia, a little background on Cynthia. She's a, an author of Live Your Life in Crescendo, which we're gonna talk a lot about today. She's a teacher speaker. She graduated from BYU. Uh, she married uh, Cameron, right? right? And she has six children. Yes. And I'm hoping I get this right. 21 grandchildren, 21 is that correct? 21
1: grandchildren with t- with twins and another little baby to come. So we'll have 24 by August.
0: Wow, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. That is amazing. Excited. That is a l- I, ha- I have two <laughs> grandchildren and that keeps us busy. I can't imagine 21.
1: <laughs> it's pretty crazy, but it's fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, I want to make this about Cynthia today. We want to get to know her because... You know, we obviously know a lot about her dad. Most, a lot of us, but uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about him too. But I want people to get to know you, Cynthia, because you live in an amazing life as well. You've been through some things, and um, you, you're doing some great things as well with your work. And your 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 words are amazing. You're an excellent writer. You Thanks. know how to tell a story. And so, why don't we start with just you know, kind of growing up? And you know, you wanted to mention maybe a story that happened in San Francisco. Yeah.
1: That's great. Well, I'm really happy to be on this podcast with you, Todd. And Thank you. And um, I'm the oldest of nine. I'm known as the, affectionately, I hope, as the mother hen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> got to keep everyone in line. That's right, especially <laughs> since both my parents have passed. Yeah. And um, I had a wonderful, I'm, I'm blessed that I had a wonderful childhood. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I know everyone doesn't have that. and yeah. um and I, I, that's why I've, I feel like I need to share and give out, give back because I was really blessed. It was a wild, you know, we had nine kids and in, I, my mom had her last one um, when I was 22 and a half. So there was a big span, but we wow. were a normal yeah. family that had ups and downs and and um, enjoyed being with each other and had, you know, fights and different things, too. You sure. know, just kind of going through our life's journey. But um, my parents really tried, more than anything, to live what they taught and what they believed. It, this is a belief-cast program, and yeah. they had strong beliefs, and they taught those to us. And they weren't perfect, but they did everything they could to try to live up to that and, yeah. and wow. teach us their beliefs. So, um yeah, we had a people say, "Well, you had nine. There was nine kids. How did y'all get attention, and how did that work out?" <laughs> right. But um, we we all felt like we had a, a good relationship with both of our parents. That they worked at, that they had to plan ahead right, yeah. and make time for. And I was just going to share um, something I wrote in in Live Life and Crescendo, um, a story that when I look back on my childhood, it kind of stands out and was kind of foundational for me going through my life. And that was when one um, my father invited me to go to San Francisco with him when he was giving a speech, a presentation. And he would he would periodically invite different kids, and I was the right. oldest, so I was the first to do this. You got to do it first, yeah. And so part of the fun was planning it way ahead, and we planned literally two or three months ahead, and we talked about all the details, everything we were going to do, down to what we would eat and. And we, um, we had planned that he said, "Oh, you've heard my talks. Don't come to my presentation. Just go, hang out at the pool and enjoy the hotel, and then come at the very end. Meet me at the back, and we'll go ride on the trolley cars." And that was the big thrill that yeah. i heard about these magical trolley cars. Oh that yeah, yeah. Would ride. You've been to San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, right? I went
0: there on my my wife and I went on our honeymoon there. Oh yeah, yeah. it's awesome. It's Great amazing. city
1: and. Going up and down, you know, he told us about how these magical trolley cars could go up and down these hills all over. And so we were going to do that. And then we would go over to, uh, then we'd go shopping in some of these amazing department stores that were so big. And and then we would go to Chinatown. We both love Chinese food. So we planned to go to get some authentic Chinese food. And then we'd take a taxi back to the hotel just in time to go swimming before they closed it. Which he loved to do, and right, then yeah. um, we'd order a room service hot fudge sundae, some treats, and watch a movie before we'd you know go to bed. So oh, yeah. it was just for a twelve year old, this was magical, and oh, we were yeah. looking forward to it <laughs> for a long time. So everything was going according to plan. I was in the back of the room waiting for my father to come back uh, and and get me uh, when he all of a sudden ran into an old friend from college mm. this is one of his good friends that he hadn't seen for years but I'd heard stories about him and I knew that they were close and really loved him and and so they embraced and talked and and the man said you know I'd love to I'd love to take you out tonight we would go down the wharf and have seafood and my wife will be coming it'll be so fun I knew you were coming to this convention so that's why I showed up today and my dad said oh that's I'm here with my daughter and he looked back at me and said oh yeah I'm sure she's she could join us that'd be fine and I rolled my eyes and thought oh my gosh I'm 12 years old I don't want to spend the night with old people I don't know (laughs) and I hate I hated seafood at that point he said we wanted Chinese food and so I just thought I could see my trolley car going down the hill without me and so I was pretty disappointed but I heard my dad say Oh, that sounds, you know, he seemed so happy to see him. And he said, S- that sounds really fun, Bob. Yeah. I'd love to do that with you, but not tonight. Oh, Cynthia and I have a yeah. special date planned, don't we, honey? And he gave me a wink and grabbed my hand, and we were out the door. I could see that trolley car again and in my mind's eye. And I was kind of choked up about it and said, well, but, Dad, that's your good friend. You know, you really like him. Wouldn't you rather hang out with him tonight than me? And he said, are you kidding? Uh, you'd rather have Chinese food. Anyway, wouldn't you? I wouldn't miss this date with you for anything. Let's go catch that trolley car. Yeah. And so uh, just a small encounter, a little experience that was, um, you know, was significant to me. As I look back on my childhood, it just taught me a lot about his beliefs and values, um, the importance of keeping your word, trust, priorities, how relationships are very important and that you'll do what you say you'll do, and and I just felt valued and and loved, and wow. so that was kind of a foundational story for me that continued, you know. Looking back, it, it stands out to me in my childhood.
0: Well, yeah, I, that's a beautiful story, and you know, it's part of your book, like you mentioned. You know, it's kind of like you're, you know, like you guys talk about small. The small things are really the big things, right? And and that might seem like a small thing, but for a 12 year old, that was the world to you. Yeah, it was like, you're like, man, I do matter. (laughs) Right. I actually matter that he would put that off to be with me. Right. Yeah. Little things like that. Um, how were you like, you know, I mean, you probably get this a lot like, Oh, you guys probably lived these perfect principles (laughs) and you guys were perfect. And you already mentioned we were a normal family, like normal things. How were you as a, as a child? Were you a, Were you a confident person? Were you outgoing? I mean, did you know you were good at writing back then? I mean, just give us a little background on on that.
1: Um, You know, I think I was a normal child that I had had to build my confidence and and come into my own a little bit. Uh, My parents were really good at instilling... um, confidence and self-worth in us. By um, their, th- I write about this in the book. Um, their leadership model was leadership is communicating another's worth and potential so clearly that you come to see it in yourself. Mm, and so wow. we felt like they could see greatness in us and brought it out. And when we didn't see it in ourselves, and you usually don't as a kid, you're right. Yeah, you're not secure and you wonder what you're good at. And you know they believed in exploring, trying a lot of, do a lot of things, see what you like, see what you're good at. And, um, you know, would, would build our self-esteem through trial and error and finding something we're good at and taking lessons or getting involved like, like people do. But, um, yeah, I think, I think I was, I remember when I was five years old, I mean, eight years old, Mm -hmm. we had lived in Ireland for three years. My dad was in a leadership position over there. Came back from Ireland, and I sp- I spoke with an Irish accent. I kind of spoke like this, like a wee Irish gal. Gal, I did, a <laughs> wee lass, and 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 they couldn't understand it. me. They couldn't, and so I, I was talking like that in school, uh, yeah. and I didn't know any American games. <laughs> And I was just out of it. I didn't, I, you know, I hadn't been in the culture in America. And so I, that was hard for me coming coming back and um, not, you know, I was behind in school. The education system here is a lot better. So yeah. I wasn't doing very well in reading and math and English. Mm. And so that was a, a point where I felt like they sustained me, helped me through that. Um, you know, they put me in speech therapy. Yeah, <laughs> The school did. Right. So I could get rid of me. me we Irish accent. it. <laughs> but um Anyway, it's, it, you know, there, we, we all had ups and downs, but I felt like, um, you know, my, my parents' big theory in raising kids, raising us was it's a phase. This too shall pass. Don't mm. overreact to what's yeah. happening yeah. to a rebellious child or to uh, somebody that gets has some habits that aren't good. You know, just mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's a phase and this too shall pass. Just keep affirming them and don't overreact. Wow.
0: Beautiful advice, right?
1: Yeah. I've I, I tried it with my kids and yeah, I feel like that's important to do.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the, you know, just a curious um, question, I think that I've, I'm always wondering is, you know, your dad being who your dad is, um, did, did you guys like, I mean, this might sound funny. Did you guys have to live the those seven <laughs> principles? And I mean, granted, I know he, pre- he was really big on practicing yeah. what he preached and, yeah. So it it probably happened more naturally versus okay we're doing this principle today or right. I mean was it like that or how was that? No,
1: I when well I was um I, it wasn't until I was let's see he wrote it in Eighty nine so yeah. I graduated from high school in seventy five so I was you know I was out of the house in college and married okay um got married in eighty and so um but he was always he developed this material for ten to fifteen years so he would. Talk about it. It wasn't more like a you've, "we've got to do this." Oh, it was kind gotcha. of like, "Let me explain." Like for example, one one um, is be proactive. He was he's probably the most proactive proactive person I've ever known. Yeah. You could never tell him it's not going to happen or it's, it, it won't work. I mean, so he called <laughs> it resourcefulness and initiative. He called yeah. it R and I. And we used to hate that as kids because you'd come home from school and say, <laughs> right. "Dad." I hate my math teacher. He's awful. I'm flunking. I'm not doing good. And they'll say he'd say, Use your R and I, make it happen. And we're like, Well, no, Dad, he really is bad. He's a bad teacher. Use your R and I. And that meant go go to the principal, talk to the teacher, get a tutor, get help after school, transfer for another class. You just you're responsible for you your education. It. Yeah, you do and it. And you can't blame yeah. your teacher if he's bad. That could be the case. But because of that, take that information and Use your R and I and make it happen. And so as kids, like you said, we couldn't blame other people. Yeah. (laughs) And we kind of joked that we had a balanced parenthood there because our mom would let us blame others. Yeah. (laughs) She'd say, Oh, that dumb teacher. You're right. You know, that makes me mad. I should call down there or something and my my dad would make us take responsibility. So if you wanted uh, your heart massage, you went to my mom. If you wanted the truth, (laughs) you'd go to my dad.
0: Exactly. (laughs) But
1: that R and I, I taught that to my kids and they hated it while they were growing up too but it's it's um and this is you know the case in in your podcast and with people that are overcoming addictions have trouble with a job, employment, or going through hard times or a divorce or something, you just have to use your R&I and make it happen for yourself because no one else is going to. You've got to be proactive.
0: Yeah, wow, that's powerful. And I could see why his kids would be like, oh no, I I want you to just... Can't blame (laughs) others. But think about that lesson, how powerful that is. I know in my own addiction, and when I was trying to overcome it, I was pointing fingers and blaming people, things, whatever. It was everyone else's fault but mine. And luckily, I had a mentor who told me, "Hey, when are you going to finally ta- yeah. take accountability, take responsibility, take responsibility for yourself? Yeah." And that's when my life changed. When yeah. I finally go, "Oh, I'm in charge. Yeah, I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I, I don't have Can't. to wait for the sorry over here uh-huh. from this person or that <laughs> person. No, you can change now. And it was it was a really you know powerful lesson that I had to learn the hard way, unfortunately. But I love that the you got taught that at a young age. Yeah. All yeah. of us
1: are very proactive. We we don't yeah. struggle in taking initiative and, and making something happen because it, that was part of our makeup. And yeah. that was just taught naturally.
0: Yeah. Is there any other principle? I mean, there's a lot that stands out to you that really, you know, you looking back on your childhood even, like the, that you learned as well. That's like, man, this is one that I really live by and I teach my own children these things.
1: Yeah. Um, well, another habit, begin with the end in mind. You mm-hmm. know, we, we, we were... He was very my dad and mom were both very goal oriented. We would um, plan ahead, and he would plan like two years ahead because of his busy schedule, so um you know he was Jeez. very busy, but he didn't miss important things because he would schedule it. He'd call the school and get the calendar and schedule things ahead so he could make the football games and make the plays and make wow. the activities as far out as they would most people would say, we don't schedule <laughs> two years ahead <laughs> what well i got pl- I'm planning ahead. But um, he loved Tom Peters' quote, um, if you want, you, if you, um, and I'm just forgetting it for a second. It's all good. Um, let's see, Todd, this is when where we're going to have to stop. <laughs> let's see. No,
0: we're good. This is um, normal. This We're human. Let's do this. <laughs> it's right
1: at the beginning of the book. Predict your uh, future. You got to create, if you, okay. So he, he, one of the big things he taught was um, Tom Peters' quote, um, if you want to predict your future, uh, Ah, let's see, predict, create your future. Let's see, what is it?
0: Yeah. Um, it's right at the see. beginning. Yeah, the best way to, predict, best way your way to predict, predict your
1: is future is to create, create. it. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
0: I'll start over. Oh, no, you're good.
1: So he taught, um, one of the principles he taught is, the best way to predict your future is to create it. And that's actually a, a quote by Tom Peters, it's also if you Google it, Lincoln, will, Abraham Lincoln will show up on that one too. So yeah. I don't know, but he th- that just meant that um, kind of the same idea that you are in charge of your future, that you're the the one that um, yeah. if you want to predict how you will end up, you will you've got to create it before it happens. Yeah. And sometimes he'd uh, get people to think about, you know, at your funeral, what eulogy do you want people to be saying about you? What do you want said? What do you want to be remembered for? Yeah. What's your legacy or what characteristics do you want to be known for at the end of your life? Identify those now and then create it and go yeah. about bringing them about.
0: Yeah, I love that. Now, before we get into some of the things I want to get to in your book, you brought up the word legacy. And I know that was big in your family, big with, with your dad. Um I've learned some things I think from your dad about legacy, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. What does that mean? Like if if someone listening is like, what does it mean to leave a legacy and how how do you do that and what does that mean?
1: That's that's a great question. Um legacy is a powerful word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And um I think we we were taught that it's what what you leave behind, what contributions you want to make. What you want to not only be remembered for, but what mm-hmm. What can you do that will enlighten and bring out greatness in other people that will help and lift others? Your legacy that, um, you know, it's kind of whenever you go to a funeral, it's always a little shocking that this person, maybe they were wealthy or maybe they had a lot of prestige or they were famous or something, but it's just them in the coffin. There's nothing, there's no yeah. titles in there, there's no property, there's no money, there's no prestige. Yeah. It's whatever, you know, they, their legacy is what the relationships they had, the character that they were during their life, how that contributed to the life of others, and the legacy that will go on, even though this person has passed, like my father, still the ideas and principles that are true Will yeah. continue on. Yeah. And and to help other people. And I think that's a, a legacy. What follows you. Beautiful. Um what you what follows you when you're gone, maybe.
0: Yeah, beautifully said. And I think I, I, I've often thought that in order also to leave a legacy, I have to put my story down. I need to write it down. For so sure. a, so a hundred years from now someone can yeah. read my story, right? Right. You know? Your your dad's writings, your writings are gonna be here forever. So someone can read this a hundred years from now still right. and get something from it. That to me, you know, in a way is legacy. I think so too. Right? We're always
1: told, keep a journal, write yeah. down your thoughts and don't necessarily write down, I went to school, I went to work, I did this or that. Write down your feelings and yeah. your beliefs and yeah. and yeah, that is a legacy <clears throat> so that your posterity can pick it up and say, this represents my ancestor yeah, and right. that would continue on because right. of that.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that. So, I have a bunch of questions about your book, but let's talk for our listeners who maybe don't know the background of I think you started this back in two thousand and eight yeah. two thousand and eight and and talk about how what you what you and your dad were thinking and why you came up with the title and then what happened you know, after your dad had passed and and just kind of yeah. take us through that.
1: be happy to well, clear back in two thousand and eight, I was <laughs> talking to him about he was just saying how many projects and book projects and ideas he had that he Mm -hmm. was trying to organize and and get out. And I foolishly made the mistake (laughs) of saying, well, but Dad, are you going to ever write anything as good as The Seven Habits or (laughs) as big as The Seven Habits? And I think it kind of insulted him. He said, well, I wrote that in 1989, and and I'm glad that it inspires people, but why do I get up every day if I don't have more to contribute, if I can't? um still come up with great ideas and principles that can be taught and and uh the seven habits is maybe the foundation but i still have important work ahead of me to contribute yeah and one of these was um this his personal mission statement the last 10 years of his life was live life in crescendo and um Mm. he that meant a lot to him particularly as he started getting older and people would say Wow, how, uh, how long are you going to be speaking, Steve? Are you, you know, you're still writing, you're still speaking, you're in your 70s, yeah. And he thought, why would I quit? You <laughs> yeah, know? right? He said, I, I still have passion for my work. I still yeah. feel like I'm making a contribution. I'd like to make a contribution. Um, I still have ideas and things, so you know, I still have important work ahead of me to contribute. And so it became his mortality became a little more visual to him when uh, yeah. people would ask that. And so he decided he loved the idea of living in crescendo. Mm. And so he said to me, um, how about if you take this idea, and because I'm involved in so many other book projects and things, why don't I you interview me, I'll give you these some ideas, and then you go for it and bring... He wanted this book to be a little different than some of the other Covey books. He yeah. wanted it to be filled with examples of yeah. people who live in crescendo some that are famous and some that are not well known yeah and so just to explain a little bit about please, the musical yeah. term, yeah, and people do. always say, your family must have been musical, but nobody was good at music but my mom. My <laughs> right. mom had a beautiful uh, singing voice and okay. actually sang in the Tabernacle Choir as the youngest oh, yeah. member when she was 17. Oh, wow.
0: 17.
1: 17 years old.
0: That's impressive. It
1: might, might be the record, the youngest. I think so, yeah. And then when my dad would speak, he would have her sing a lot of times if she'd accompany him. Yeah but crescendo as you know is a musical symbol that means that mm-hmm. if you've been to a concert and you hear a crescendo it builds in strength and power yeah. majesty it it is it's incredible yeah. to hear it it keeps expanding and keeps going on and it and it builds the momentum where the opposite symbol diminuendo um, you know the symbol is that it it starts out loud but then it lessens in energy oh, and gotcha. power and it slowly fades and it comes to an end. It completely stops. Okay. And so the challenge in this book and the what it's talking about is that um, live life from crescendo. Uh, your most important work is always ahead of you. And mm. that subtitle is as important as the title. For sure, yeah. Because it means that, yeah, you're, you're going along and maybe you've been successful, maybe you haven't. But what are you going to do next? You still have important things to accomplish.
0: Gotcha. Well, yeah, because you, you said, you know, your dad wrote that book, Seven Habits, back in 89. Right. And and, yeah. and it was so successful. He could have just been like, well, I'll, I guess I'll retire. I've Right. Got, but yeah, he had so much more to do. And he learned as he went along. And he, he shared. And he gave away his gift, like you talk a lot about. And... Well, the, yeah. the
1: eighth habit: find your gift and help uh, find your voice and help others find theirs. Yeah. First things first. Principle centered leadership. A lot of other contributions. But he felt as strongly about this crescendo mentality um, material as he did the seven habits.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of beautiful quotes in this book, and one that really stood out to me because it means a lot to me because I feel like I'm hoping I'm doing this with my life. But it said, "You, you." It's Pablo Picasso. Yeah. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away.
1: It's an incredible quote, isn't it? It's so
0: profound and so simple, but yet so big. I don't know how, you know.
1: Yeah. The meaning of life is to find your gift. And so that's, you know, why we're here on earth, I guess, that we've got to find what we're good at. We all have, my father would challenge people to find your unique gift and he loved Viktor Frankl and Frankl would say, you don't invent your gifts, you detect them, which is kind of interesting. You mm. detect them within yourself yeah. and then you bring them out. So he would ask people, what What are you good at? What do you like? What passions do you have? Mm-hmm. How can you use this yeah. as, you know, to bless the purpose of life is to give it away, to bless other people?
0: Yeah. Well, you have a chapter in here called Find Your Why, yeah. <laughs> where you do quote, uh, a lot of Victor and stuff that he quoted in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, one of the quotes, again, and I know we're going to talk more about the, the depth of this book, but you also have a quote here by Helen Keller. And I yeah. wanted it. I literally wrote wow next to it. <laughs> and <laughs> here's what it says, uh, what Helen said. I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. Holy moly. Yeah. What does that mean? I mean, I want to hear your thoughts on that and why you added that to the book. And then maybe tell us more about how do we find our why or detect them as you were just mentioning that Victor was talking about.
1: Right, well think of Helen Keller. Nobody would even know her. She wouldn't make any impact if she wasn't born deaf and blind and had all those problems. And so, you know, at first we all know the story with Ann Sullivan, how she fought her and, mm-hmm. you know, she just was like an animal, you know, she wasn't c- controlled. And yeah. and pretty soon um, she taught her how to listen to herself and to use her gifts. And um, she, says, she says at first it was a, a handicap, but later um, it became a blessing because people would see her and what she was doing with her life and think, gosh, I can see and hear, I can do something and... And so um, finding our own unique gifts, I think you've got to be real introspective. And we talk in the book about um, being silent within yourself, listening to your conscience mm, about yeah. what you feel passionately about or what you feel like you're good at. And people always think, well, I'm just average. I'm ordinary. I don't have any special talents. But you have more than you think you do. Yeah. Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. Mm. And, you know, everybody has a, um, a, a unique purpose or a mission yeah. to fulfill that only you can do. Yeah. My, uh, my father's grandfather, Stephen L. Richards, um, taught that life is a mission and not a career, Ooh. which I think is, that was that. very significant was to my dad. Yeah. That um, your life, you know, you a job and a career may end at some point, but your life's mission Continues on. Yeah. So what what are you about? What do you value? And then, um, you know, we talk a lot about in the about in the book about identifying your your major roles. You know, the most important roles in your life, and um, that's success being being um, being successful in your most important roles, and that may help you find your life's mission.
0: Yeah, and you you talk a lot about being a catalyst for good being there, make a difference in people's lives, that kind of thing. Do you think that that's really all of our purpose? If we, in the grand scheme of things, do you think that's really all our purpose is to give back and and to be good and to be a catalyst for good? I think that's one of the main things
1: that would develop a legacy that you would leave. Mm -hmm. But just to enjoy your life here, to bring out your own talents, to be able to, most people's most important relationships are within their family. And on people, my dad did a lot of research in deathbed um, literature, and he said nobody on their deathbed wished they spent more time at the office. You know, who do they talk about at the end? They talk about their relationships, their loved ones, mostly their family or their friends that meant so much to them or lack of them or the regret Mm -hmm. that they didn't have that. So. um,
0: Yeah, I I think... I've heard something similar to that. Like, yeah, on your deathbed, you're like, oh, I wish I would have spent more time yeah. at work and right. this and that. It usually comes back down to your family and the people who are closest to you. I wish I spent more time. And, you know, and I love what you said early on in, in this uh, interview here that how you really admired your dad because he practiced what he preached.
1: He, he tried to. And, he, and yeah. everyone has different missions. Some are, yeah. you know, you read about someone like um, Christopher Reeve who, you know, was yeah. paralyzed after, right. I mean, he was Superman and had such a great, great um, story of fame. And then all of a sudden he's he's in a wheelchair and he, and he has other gifts that come out because of that. Um, Julie Andrews, for example, lost her voice. Um, she had throat cancer and was operated on and couldn't sing after, you know, when she's in her her uh, almost 60, and she's maybe 55 in her 50s. And she said she lost her identity at first because this was yeah. what she did, she sang. And then it forced her, like Helen Keller, to develop other inner talents and other things that she had. And she ended up writing um, children's books with her daughter that became New York Times bestsellers, the very, the very um, fairy princess series, apparently, that uh, she's written. And so people think, um, you know, I can't do, I can't do everything. You can do yeah, something. Sure. Um, I'm thinking of Pamela Atkinson, who's a great advocate here in the state of Utah Absolutely. for the homeless. Yeah. And she was giving a lecture one time about how we can all do something to help someone else, even if it's small and it'll make yeah. a difference. Yeah. And a woman in her late seventies, maybe early eighties raised her hand and said, I- I'd like to disagree with that. I'm, I'm, In my late 70s, I have a limited income, I can't get out. How could I possibly make a difference to someone else? And Pamela thought for a minute and said, could you donate one can of soup every week to the food bank? And she said, yes, I could do that. (laughs) She said, imagine um, a mother uh, warming up a a large can of soup for her children, feeding her kids so that they go to bed, They're they're not hungry because of you. Do you think that'd make a difference? And she said, yeah, I think it would. And yeah. for the next few years, every week, she donated one can of soup, which turned out to be hundreds of meals for needy people. Wow. So it doesn't have to be grandiose to make a difference.
0: It doesn't. And that lady was probably like, oh, I never looked at it that yeah. way, right? right. Can, yeah, that's this. again, small things are the big things, actually. Right. They really, yeah. truly are. Man, there's so many questions. Um, one of the things, I, I I mean, you've been through a lot, you know, you know your mom passed, your dad passed, and then your your brother had a daughter who had passed right this and and that was pretty close to when your dad had passed, if I remember yeah. right a couple two months, months later. two months yeah, uh-huh. and you said something in your book, you said, God always has purpose behind what's happening, so do you mind sharing like what the, what do you mean by that if someone's like, well really how's that how is that even possible?" And then talk about if you're okay, yeah. what happened with your brother and his no,
1: daughter. It, it would be good. Like I said, we're a normal family, with every, <laughs> like everyone. We have ups and downs, and sure. struggles and disappointments. Yeah. And we had, in, in my book, uh, we talk about. Three major things that happened toward um, that you know were just recent. They happened pretty close together. That were yeah. pretty life changing, big yeah. setbacks. And the third one, it was both my parents' kind of health issues, and yeah. then the third one was uh, my brother Sean's, my niece's um, Rachel, yeah. and she passed away at 21 from effects of depression. Yeah, and so um, my brother and his wife. She'd struggled her whole life with depression, and they were incredible. They decided that they would um, talk about it in the obituary, that they would say that she died from depression so people would know what, what had happened. Exactly, yeah. And not bring, you know, to take away the stigma. Yeah. And uh, people came to them and said, oh, I'm so grateful you said that. I struggle with depression, or my daughter does, or yeah. my my family died in the same way. And it opened up some healing, healing paths. And then somebody told my brother, me, well-meaning, but just said, I'm sorry to tell you this, Sean, but you're always going to have a hole in your heart because of the loss of wow. Rachel. Yeah. And that really bothered him. He thought, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to have a, I don't want to have a hole in my heart. I want to grow a muscle there. Ooh. And he finally decided wow. that with this, with this tragedy and losing her in this way, that he could react three ways. He could let it destroy him and his family, it could define afi- define him, it could define him, destroy him, or it could strengthen him. And they decided to let it strengthen them. Dang. And so, th- Rachel had a great love for horses, and this was what she kind of said to her dad. And mom, when she, she did these 25 mile um, endurance races okay. on horses, Dang. and she said, I found my voice, yeah. this is what I love, this is what I'm good at, and I can do. And um, so when she passed away, some friends came to them and said, "Do you know that Rachel took me writing uh, when I was really discouraged? That I alf- also suffer from from anxiety and from some depression, depression and yeah. different problems. And she took me wow. writing, and it really helped me. I found a lot of uh, solace in doing that. And so they decided to take that um, and and start a nonprofit foundation called Bridle Up Hope, which the whole goal is to help girls like Rachel." Who would be struggling with their self-esteem, with their um, they might they might have an addiction, they might be abused or have trauma, yeah. and um, they wanted to offer this this 14-week program to girls to help build their their mission is to build um, let's see their purpose is to help young girls who are struggling with um, to oh I'm gonna start over here no you're let's good
0: see.
1: okay. The, with the, their mission uh, and so the mission of bridal up hope is to inspire hope, confidence and resilience in young women through equestrian training. Gotcha. And so it's been 10 years since they started this and now over 1000 girls have gone through this program. And 95% of their parents have said it's been life-changing for them.
0: that's amazing.
1: It's it's an incredible, beautiful facility. It's in Alpine. It's a nonprofit. Uh, There's three components. The first is the equestrian training. There's a lot of healing and therapy with horses, working Mm -hmm. with horses. And then the second part is teaching life skills. And my brother Sean wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, Teens yeah. which I've takes my dad's. Good. It takes my dad's um, Seven Habits and applies it to teenagers. And then the third component is service, and they've found that um, getting them to serve, maybe mucking out the stalls, helping right. do other things, even developing some of their talents with yoga or art or something, can help a lot too. And so with those those three components, they have really changed the lives of. A th- over a thousand girls so far and wow. so that's an example of that's amazing you know they could have chosen to shut down to live in diminuendo to feel sorry for mm. themselves to sh- to think we'll never be happy again we'll always have this hole, or to live in crescendo and you know bless other people wow. through what happened to them wow. so i'm re- it's a it's a great example to our whole
0: family beautiful and what stood out to me is the response i mean you know, when that neighbor said that to him, you're always going to have a hole in your heart. But to say, no, no, I'm going to actually create a muscle there. Yeah. And 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 I think that actually makes it even more honoring to those who have passed if we did something like that. Versus, because I, I I work with a lot of people who have lost lost loved ones, and that's right. one of the reasons why they turn to drugs and alcohol. And, yeah. And I'll always ask. If that person was sitting in here in the room with you right now, would right. they want you to be happy or sad? And without yeah. fail, they always say, well, they'd want me to be happy. And I'm like, then let's work on giving them what they want. Because right. I think that's what she would want is, For for this to move forward and have the family be strengthened, like you mentioned, instead of it defining them and or living, you know, shutting them down and living just in despair and depression, kind of thing. Right, right. Wow,
1: you can feel a great spirit there. You can feel Rachel there, and I'm sure she's happy with this. And (laughs) and what a difference! Uh, Kind of what another one of their themes is from Christopher Reeve: once you choose hope, anything is possible. And so I think that just opens up so many um, different. A success stories for girls that have been struggling and yeah and it's been a wonderful thing for our family.
0: Man thank you for sharing that. I know that's a it's a sensitive topic, but thank you for no, sharing we're, that we're with
1: happy us. To, we we would we want people to, you know, if they yeah. if they need help for girls especially yeah. to come there.
0: No, I love that. Um, so I mean there's so much good in this book. Is there something that stands out to you in this book here that you guys have written? That means more to you, like, like this is the, my favorite part, or or is it just the whole thing in general? I mean, just curious on if there's anything else about this book that uh, just stands out for you.
1: Well, um, li- uh, living life in crescendo, um, the challenge is to do it in every phase of life and at every age and stage. And so we identify four different mm-hmm. stages, and yeah. one is the midlife stage when sometimes you feel like, gosh, I'm. 50 years older, I'm 60, I'm 70. I don't, I'm do not i not very successful. I'm not where I thought I was going to be. Am yeah. I really a success? Kind of like George Bailey did in, yeah. in A Wonderful Life. He didn't yeah. think he was successful. Yeah, he's like, He oh. didn't travel. He didn't become an architect. He didn't do all these things. But yet, you know, when he was gone in that movie, when they took him out of it, you saw how the town fell apart and he realized, you know, the angel says to him, you actually did have a wonderful life. It's strange how your life touched so many other people. So he actually was very successful. He didn't know it. And another part um, that we talk about is the pinnacle of success. Someone like a Jimmy Carter who um, uh, was the president of the United States, you think, well, you can't get any higher than that. (laughs) But yet, he didn't get reelected and he didn't have a very successful presidency. So instead of just you know, doing his library and giving expensive speeches. <laughs> Talk about living in crescendo. I mean, who, what do you think of when you think of Jimmy Carter?
0: Um, yeah, you're, gonna, you're aging me here. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, I could just say Jimmy Carter was <laughs> known for um, Habitat for Humanity. Oh, that's for, right, yeah. For uh, building homes, for the Carter Peace Center, yeah. for being a peacemaker, for all these things that he contributed since his presidency. So it really was true. His greatest work was still ahead of him. Was still ahead. Even though yeah. he... So so regardless if you've, ha- you've had failures in the past or you've had successes, you still have important work. Whatever's ahead of you is the most important because it is ahead of you.
0: Yeah, I love uh, that.
1: And then I think if you said a favorite part... Um, I'm really inspired by the life when people face life changing experiences like Elizabeth Smart oh, or Nelson yeah. Mandela. Yeah. Things that are really hard that you think, how can you go on? How they chose to live in crescendo, how they emerged yeah. out of that, and what their life is, how it's expanded since then.
0: Yes. Eliz- Elizabeth
1: Smart in our own state. I mean, she's not a victim, she's married, she's got three kids. Um, she served a mission for her church. She um, is the advocate for people that, uh, a beacon of hope for those yes. who have kidnapped. She's got Elizabeth Smart Foundation. She could have very well have curled up in a ball and no one would have blamed her for Absolutely. what happened to her. Yeah. So I'm, I, I think the highlight in the book to me is, um, is how people respond to really hard circumstances, worse than I've ever been in or heard about, yeah. and how they've come out on top. And then the last part of the book is about the second half of life. A lot of times people think, well, you know, I'm retired, like my dad (laughs) writing that book. It's like, maybe I'll just go to Miami or, you know, (laughs) sit and enjoy my home and and travel and do what I want and not contribute anymore. So whether, you know, in the last half of your, the last part of your life... You know, my dad didn't like the the retirement word, the R word, because yeah. he saw he's, he he th- he saw it as sometimes people would would stop contributing. That he said, you can retire from a job or a career, but never retire from making extremely extremely meaningful contributions.
0: Yeah, back to your life as a mission. Right, life a is career. a mission, not a career. Yeah, keep going on. So,
1: if the career or job ends, what are you gonna do next? Yeah. You've got, you're in the position where you've got more money than you've ever had. Probably. Yeah. You've got more connections, more wisdom, more experience than you've ever had. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? How are you going to bless others?
0: Yeah. I love that. It's beautiful. Um, There, I, I, another amazing quote that hit me that I've never heard before is by Victor Hugo. Nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. What does that mean? Do you think? What does that mean?
1: Uh, we were taught in our home that nothing is more powerful than uh, a, a true principle yeah. or a great idea Yeah. and how, like you say, legacy, how those live on. I mean, when we could, th- we could name a lot of different people and know what they stood for because of, um, you know, they had great ideas that were true and they were timeless and universal. Yeah. And so I think that, um. This, the time is now. This is a good, I feel like um, I was trying to get this book out. It took 10 years. Oh, I, I forgot to talk about how um, we, my father and I worked together on this book. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then, excuse me, and then he passed away uh, unexpectedly too early. And so I finished it, but it took 10 years. <laughs> I could hear my dad's voice in my head just like, you know, come on, finish the sucker. You know, get it, get it done. You've, you you're exactly. too long, and but I and I was frustrated that it was taking so long. But I was involved in so many other things. But the time is now. Whose idea? You know, there's nothing more powerful than an idea. Whose time has come? Right. We've just gone through the pandemic. There's a lot of hard things in our life right now that are, you know, everything is being broadcast. You can hear bad news every night. And I think we've got to believe there's so much good still we can do, so many contributions that we can still make. And so I think this crescendo mentality idea, I think the time is right to bring it out now.
0: Beautifully said. That's powerful. You know, um, another thing that I read in the book I think your dad was um young younger I think maybe in his 20s and he was asked what do you want to do with your life by someone and he said I want to unleash human potential. Yep. And I I want to put it on record I'm going to steal that um <laughs> because that's what I'm trying to do to that's what I yeah. I want to unleash human potential because we can do so much and like you said all the stories in here and the people you've mentioned who have overcome some of the most horrific things, you right? Know, you, you, Elizabeth Smart, if she was, you know, you know, strung out on drugs, depressed in a room under a bed, we right. wouldn't even You'd understand. Get, we would get it, <laughs> yeah. But yet she rises above that. It's just a beautiful thing, and just the potential that we all have in us, and the power that we can do anything. Well, you're you're doing
1: that, Todd. <coughs> Sorry.
0: You're good. <clears throat> I've been making her talk a lot, so now she's got to take some water. <laughs> Sorry, excuse
1: You're, you know, you said that, I mean, you've turned a career into a, mm-hmm. a mission. Yeah. I mean, you had an experience. You talked about how you were on drugs for 10 years. Yeah. When you were younger, and you could have, that could have been the end of you too. Yeah. But yet, because of your experience, and you've continued to uh, talk about with others and to share what you learned, it's changing lives. And so we always have the choice you know, am I going to live in crescendo or diminuendo? What what are my options here? Yeah. And you might feel like oh, you have very few, but you always have a choice. And um, yeah. you, you can do so much good through uh, your unique mission. And it doesn't have to be, like I said, one man I, I I read about in the paper. He loved, he was older and he was retired and at home. But he was known as the bike man because he believed every kid, should have a bike, and if they didn't have one, they would come to him, he'd fix up an old (laughs) one, he'd get one, somehow he'd get him a bike. And the tribute, the legacy to him at the end of his life was his funeral, all the children rode bikes to his funeral, and there was a picture taken of bikes lined up against the church where his funeral was (laughs) as a tribute and legacy to this man of the bike man who cared one kid at a time and one bike at a time to make a difference. So we wow. don't have to do extraordinary things Man. Um, to be to make an extraordinary difference.
0: Thanks for sharing that. That 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 chokes me up a little bit. That's so powerful. Yeah, I think sometimes we like. Well, people might even think I want to I want to be as popular and as big as Stephen Covey was, you know. And <laughs> but again, it's these like you uh, you guys preach. It's the small things that are actually the big things, right? You know, and if it's a small thing to fix up a bike for someone. But yet the joy and the big things they brought that, to that what person. what does right? to a 10-year-old who totally didn't have a bike. Changes their whole yeah. world, right? right? The world has changed because of the bike. Right. And what a contribution. Yeah, yeah what a contribution. Um, I have an, a, a couple other questions, if that's okay. No, that's um, great. You know... You, you quote uh, Henry David Thoreau about sucking the marrow out of life. <laughs> that was like, one of
1: my dad's favorite quotes. He would, y- yeah. he would yell whenever we had a great opportunity in front of us, like we're going on a semester abroad or you're starting a new job or you're trying out for a team he would yell, suck the marrow out of life. (laughs) (laughs) That means just take advantage of all you can. Do everything you can in life. You know, enjoy it and learn everything. And that's the crescendo mentality is growing and learning, recreating yourself, starting over if you need to.
0: I love that. And I think it's appropriate. I want to read the quote for everyone listening because this hit me so hard. Here's what here's how the quote goes I went I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die discover that I had not lived I do not wish to live what was not life living is so dear I want to live deep and suck the marrow out of all the marrow out of life
1: It's beautiful, isn't it? Henry David Thoreau. Yeah, very powerful. Yeah, Suck the marrow out of life, which I interpret is, you know, do all you can with what you have. Like Roosevelt said, uh, you know, learn and grow. I've got friends that are in their 60s that have gone back to school, one that learned piano, one that's taking calculus at 62 and, you know, wants her degree and learning a language and, you know, Uh, Volunteering at at places that at charities, helping with refugee needs. Right, you know, there's so much to do, and sucking the marrow out of life. um, It's exciting. It's it's a wonderful world. um, Depending on how you look at it and how you approach it, a lot of hard things. But we can choose to let that weigh us down and give up. But your podcast is about inspiring hope that uh, things will get better. And now, now isn't always. Now isn't forever. If you are having addiction or you've just gone through a divorce, if you're struggling financially, if you have health needs, you know, uh, believe that you still have important things ahead and yeah. good things ahead yeah. to come. And as you seek them and look for them, they will come. They'll follow you.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Um, geez. If there's someone listening to you right now who's struggling, they're, they're maybe in that dark place and you've already shared some amazing things that one person right now who's struggling listening to your voice right now what would you tell him?
1: what my brother learned don't let your struggles destroy you define you label you mm. l- let it strengthen you mm. and it, that's the hardest choice the third mm-hmm. one is the, by far the hardest choice it's easy to let it destroy you yeah. or define you yeah. and to to be labeled like you know um, you know he's on drugs he he's his life isn't you know he hasn't done anything he's he's giving up he's you know that's just in his temperament that's how he is don't let don't let a label define your life yeah. my father was big on um on transition people people that uh you know if there's alcoholism in your family and you know all my aunts and uncles were we're, you know, we're abused alcohol. Well, let it stop with you. You be the transition person to yeah. stop that negative habit wow. from going to the next generation. Um, I don't know if you ever have you uh, bought Dave's Killer Bread before?
0: Oh yeah, it, and I know his yeah. story.
1: Yeah, it's a it's healthy bread that's really good. And he was a three time. He said he'd been in. He called himself a three-time loser. Been yep. to been to jail for th- for three different times for 15 years. Yeah. he was. He had depression and didn't know how to treat it, and he would over-medicate through these drugs. But he, when he came back, uh, finally got out. His brother, who their their family owned a, a bakery, and he gave him what he needed more than anything: a new start and a new vision of himself. Um, you know, you can. Here's a job. You can have a job here. And so he developed this Dave's Killer Bread that has turned into be so popular and and famous now. And now Dave hires felons. A third of his uh, employees are convicted felons that have been released. That need, and he says, if I don't, he says 75% of them will return to jail um, and repeat unless they have a second chance. So he talks about, I believe, in second chances, like he was given. So I would say to a person who is discouraged and feel like, you know, my life's falling apart um, with an addiction or with my family. I don't have a good relationship. I'm going through a divorce. You know, um, decide, determine now, am I going to give in to this or am I going to let it strengthen me? Am I going to live in crescendo or diminuendo? And take those necessary steps. Use your R&I, your resourcefulness yeah. and initiative.
0: There it is. <laughs> and
1: make it happen, even yeah. though it's super hard. Yeah. But you think of Nelson Mandela. Who spent 27 years on Robben Island in South Africa, and he he was released when he was 71, and you wow. can imagine people would think, "Oh, that's too bad. His life's over. His life's He's over. 71. What can he do?" He gets out of jail, and he said, "I knew if I didn't live my leave my bitterness behind, I would still be in prison." And he yeah. said, "At 71, I felt like I was starting anew," and he started dismantling apartheid. Four years later, he's elected the president, the first black president right. of South Africa oh. and going on to change the face of South Africa and inspire the entire world.
0: Wow. And so
1: hopefully your situations aren't as bad as Elizabeth Smart and Nelson Mandela and yeah. Dave's Killer Bread and these people that are really, yeah. really going through hard times and take control of it and just determine I still have important work, important contributions to make ahead of me wow i'm gonna do it
0: beautifully said man those are words are powerful um what do you love most about your life
1: oh i i i love my family uh that's what makes me happy six kids and 21 going on 24 (laughs) grandkids and i i love uh doing this right now the book came out in september (laughs) yeah and i feel like my dad's off my back now and he's ha- happy <laughs> because he felt like this was yeah. a hopeful inspiring sure. message yeah. that he wanted to get out yeah. that um, that you that you can make a choice the choice is is really yours to how you're going to react to a circumstance a bad yeah. setback or getting older what are you going to do with your time or you know what are you going to do with a label are you going to transition And so he wanted to get this out. So I'm excited. I've been on a lot of podcasts and doing some speaking. And, um, that's that's really making me happy because it, um, it's a hopeful, inspiring message that hopefully could change lives and make a difference. And that, that makes me happy.
0: Well, I'm honored that you would be willing to come on my podcast. It means so much to me and you're pulled in so many different directions, but thank you for just your, your willingness to do this. I mean, well, it means I am a lot. Well, I'm inspired
1: by what you're doing, Todd, with oh, your podcast you. and with your work um, in recovery for, for addicts and for people that are, want a second chance and a yeah. new start. Yep. And what a better time at the start of a year, t- 2023. Yep. Don't let it define you or destroy you, but choose to let your challenges and your hardships uh, strengthen, strengthen you, you. and... And determined by the end of the year, look ahead, the end in mind is that you're going to be in a better place at the end of 2023 and you'll be happier, healthier, um, and maybe turning around and paying it forward for someone else. Wouldn't that be a great thing Mm -hmm. to lift somebody else up?
0: Absolutely. What a beautiful thing. Well, if someone uh, wants to get your book uh, or if they want to know more about your mission here and what you're trying to do, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: You know, it's just on Amazon, Live Life for okay. Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you. Um, I have an Instagram, Cynthia Covey Haller, and I'm on LinkedIn. I mostly do LinkedIn. I'm not so great at social media, but I'm living in Crescendo and trying to do it. Yes. And, but um, what yeah. one last message I just thought of that Please. was important to my dad is the message that life is about contribution, not accumulation. Mm. And, uh, you know, society yeah. teaches us... Yeah, the opposite the you know opposite. it's what you have it's who you are it's your prestige or your houses and cars and your possessions but those matter very little and at the, at the end they don't matter at all but life is really about contribution and like Picasso said that's where you will find your meaning and purpose if at the end you leave a legacy of contribution and so yes, that's you. that's, I hope that could be the goal of, of people listening
0: yeah no thank you um, before we wrap up, any final words, any final thoughts? Is that something we didn't touch I've, on or anything? I've talked to everyone's head off, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure.
1: But um, yeah, I've just, yeah. just the challenge to live the, I'd like to live you with the challenge to live the crescendo mentality. Yeah. And when you when you're facing a setback or, or something that is challenging or that's disappointing to determine right now, okay, where am I on that spectrum? Am I yeah. closer to crescendo or diminuendo and move over to the crescendo area and determine that you still have, you're not down yet. You still yeah. have great things to, ahead of you, and and really believe it, and it'll come about.
0: Man, amen to that. That's beautiful. I Thank you. It. Well, um, we'll put all of these links to your book and your and and to be able to get this in our show notes and all that, so everyone will easily get to that. And uh, so I challenge everyone to to. To take your challenge and live <laughs> your life in that way, and and it's never too late. You know, age is just a number, right? It doesn't have to. De- our age doesn't have right. to define us, right? That's so right. It's going to strengthen me. I'm going to be ten <laughs> times better because of it. So, I love that. Is this has been such a pleasure? Thank you, Cynthia, for being on here. It's beautiful.
1: Oh, it's been it's been wonderful. If anyone's interested in bridal up hope, I am speaking on the subject "Live Life mm. in Crescendo" next Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, Feb- uh, February. Let's see, January thirty first. Um, and it's a chance to see this beautiful, um, hopeful place, and yeah. you could also learn a lot about it. I'll put the link about,
0: to that uh, yeah, foundation as well in the show great. notes as well, so people could look at it, yeah. share it, donate to it if they need, you know, that, whatever awesome. they want to do to give back for that. So.
1: That's, it's an inspiring foundation. So thank you okay. for the opportunity to share about it.
0: Well, guys, like I said, we were in for a treat today, and it did not disappoint. Oh. Cynthia Covey Haller, thank you so much for your life and for living your a legacy and also honoring your dad's legacy. Um, your family has contributed so much good to this world and we're all blessed to have you in it. And um, I'm glad to know you guys aren't perfect and uh, Heavens no. <laughs> but thank you for your, you know, all that you're doing and for, for being here today. It really is truly my blessing to be sitting here with you today. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me as your you guest. Betcha. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Please share this with your family and friends. That would be awesome. If you have a son or a daughter who's maybe feeling stuck or it's a little down, man, just listening to Cynthia here, just her voice and the things that she shared are powerful stuff. You can follow back up with them and and, uh, be able to have a great conversation. So I can't wait for this to go live. I love you guys. And again, thank you to my sponsors for making this all possible. And uh, till next time, everyone. Thanks again. Thanks, Todd.
1: Good. Well, I hope I...